If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. News just broke that the Dobbs decision overturning the right to abortion in the United States has just come out. So what we're going to do is we're going to have what sometimes other podcasts do during the NBA draft or during other live sports happenings, we're going to talk about this live. We've not prepared for this. We have not done any pre-consultations about it. We have obviously talked about this issue on the show before, but we're going to react in real time and as news comes out as to what specifics are in this decision. And to do that, I want to turn to you first, Alicia. You, you're the one who just signaled to me like, hold on, Matt, wait, hold on. <laughs> Breaking news. You are the crawl at the bottom of the balance of power feed here. Alicia, your, your initial reaction. Well, we obviously haven't had time to read the ruling to see if it is the one that was previously released, but the outcome is the same. And that is that the Supreme Court of the United States has overturned Roe v. Wade, which sends the issue of abortion back to states. I've, I've said before, I am a pro-life woman. I am not someone, and I would urge those who are like me in this opinion, not to be cheering today because this is a very serious issue. I think it's a states' rights issue. I, I think this is when can a person... When can a baby be considered a baby and not be aborted? This is based on a Mississippi law that says 15 weeks, you can't have an abortion. I think the discussion of when that line is, is an important one for this country to have, but it's not a time to celebrate, even though you may want to, because this is serious. This is a big deal. And there are people who disagree with us on this issue very emotionally, strongly and to their core. And I think we should respect that. Look, I live in New Hampshire. We're not outlawing abortion. It's not going to happen. I think most states won't. There are states that may look to do it. There has been advanced legislation. I, I think the discussion should be when a life begins and point of conception is probably unfair and unrealistic, particularly for women who are victims of incest and rape and things of that nature. But I think this is going to cause a discussion state by state that needs to be had. And I also urge calm for people on both sides. People have been protesting at Supreme Court justices' homes. I suspect we're going to see some pretty scary scenes in the coming days because protests, unfortunately, turn violent when two sides show up. So while I support the decision based on a state's right issue, I also understand how serious and even scary this might be for other people in this country. And I, and I do empathize with that. Alicia, I just, before turning to Paul, I actually just want to applaud you for uh, that was a remarkably reasoned I, I wish everyone in America of course I want everyone in America to hear our podcast but I, I wish everyone in America could hear the way you just explained that it it is a remarkable of, of empathy and and understanding and I I just well done and I wish we could have this is why we do this show so that we can have exchanges around really divisive and difficult issues like this, where we can hear different points of view expressed in a very reasonable way most of the time, most of the time. With that thought, Paul, your reaction? Well, I think it's a sad day. I think Roe v. Wade in 1973, which permitted abortions during the first two trimesters of pregnancy, was an important landmark and, a, and an appropriate 
reading of the Constitution in modern times. Half the states in this country are expected to outlaw or severely re restrict abortion as a result of today's de decision. And that is going to create a miserable patchwork of, um, of abortion. It's going to create a miserable patchwork and, and an extraordinary burden on women and their doctors and all those who care about what happens with women and their pregnancies. It's, it, 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 it's, a, it's going to be, it's a shock to the system. Uh, because we have generations now, generations of Americans who have grown up taking for granted that they have control over their own bodies and their individual freedom to control their own medical health and without interference from the state. I have sometimes facetiously said, Republicans say they're for small government. Well, yeah, they're for government just small enough to fit into a woman's uterus. And the, the, this is a, it's a devastating opinion. It's, de it's devastating. It will disproportionately affect minorities and low-income people. We're going to see back alley abortions. We're going to see incredibly restrictive laws around the country. It, it's a tragedy. It's, a, it's, it's just a tragedy. There's no, there's no other way that I can see this. And kudos to you as well for, I think, a, another, I think, very, very honest and candid assessment. And for my part, I agree and hear everything that both of you are saying. And what I would add is that it does seem like we've reached a moment here of failure in our system and in the Supreme Court, because today's decision is the culmination of a decades-long quest to put a very specific kind of jurist on the Supreme Court with a very specific judicial philosophy. I was just talking about the tortured logic that Clarence Thomas applied in the New York gun decision. I've spoken previously on this show and on Beyond Politics about the tortured logic that Samuel Alito was applying in the Dobbs decision. We've covered with legal scholars like Joyce Vance and Kim Whaley and Barbara McQuaid how the Supreme Court, through this group, this particular group of jurists, has bent over backwards to find legal reasoning to fit a predetermined result. In a way, I don't blame them because what has been created on the right is sort of an incentive system, a, a merit system where the only way to advance as a, as a jurist that would get nominated to high positions in our judicial system from Republicans is to put forward and consistently show a very conservative judicial philosophy, but not just conservative, a particular brand, a strict originalist interpretation which is on its face patently ridiculous because the context of the constitution 250 years ago, where we go through these incredible exercises of grammar to understand a well-regulated militia. What does that clause mean? What does the comma mean? What does militia mean when words have evolved in their meaning? What was the understanding in the 17th 
and 18th centuries of what abortion was. How much was it regulated? We rely, and Justice Alito was relying in the draft version of the opinion, nine times on the judgments of a 16th century English jurist named Matthew Hale, who believed that women had no inherent rights. I just want to repeat that for a second, that the judicial basis that Samuel Alito was relying on in his draft opinion for his view about how abortion was understood at the time of the Constitution's writing 250 years ago was based on the views of an English jurist 500 years ago who thought that women had no inherent rights once they got married. In his view, once a woman was married, she hands over all rights to her husband. For that to be the judicial philosophy that is the foundation that undergirds today's decision should be shocking to everyone, regardless of the outcome. And so I find, I find today's, today's ruling to be sort of the, the culmination of this decades-long quest to reach this conclusion and to do so by any means necessary, including finding jurists who would put forward this very, very particular and I think very twisted view of our laws and the Constitution. Well, a few thoughts. I mean, as you reference, they look back at the Constitution, the words and where a comma was and what that meant at that time. I think that's a very good description of what the Supreme Court's supposed to do. I haven't read the new opinion, this opinion. I don't know what your reference to the 16th century jurist is. I believe you. I'm just unfamiliar with it, so I can't weigh in on that. But as for trying to delve into the times and the language and the grammar and what the intent was, I think that is the job of the Supreme Court. And I think that that's what they should do. But he brings up this when the the New York gun ruling came out of the Supreme Court. The the governor of New York came out and said when the Constitution was written, there was only muskets under the implication that that's what they were referring to. By that argument, which is what a lot of people are making on all these things, there's there's an amendment in that Constitution against illegal search and seizure. And that was long before computers and cell phones and phones. And are, are we implying that they're not covered by the Constitution because they weren't anticipated? I am. Well, no, but that's but that's the point, isn't it? That's the point is that we have to we are forced because of the advance of technology. We are forced to adapt if we if we are stuck in only the original meaning of words or the words as they were understood at the time. What was the meaning of militia? What was the grammatical construction of the use of a comma in that initial clause of the Second Amendment? If we are only locked into how would those words have been understood at the time that we wrote the constitution, then the answer to your question about cell phones is no, then cell phones are not contemplated and we cannot extend constitutional protections to them. That's clearly an absurd result. Therefore, it follows that we have to adapt. We have to update our understanding to a modern one. We cannot have a purely strict originalist understanding of the constitution. I think there's a very, very big difference between reinterpreting the Constitution and interpreting it for modern times. And that may sound semantics, but semantical, but it, it's very real. You can take an ancient document and apply it 
to current times under the idea of what would those forefathers, that's why they delve in, right? That's why they look at the words and the context of when they're written to see what they were trying to achieve. What they were trying to achieve under protecting from illegal search and seizure is that you couldn't do that. You couldn't access people's private information. Therefore, it would extend to computers and cell phones and things like that. Same with guns. It would extend to whatever the weapons of the time were. And that's not reinterpreting the constitution. That is simply interpreting it for today's modern world. And that's a very big difference than modernizing it. But that's not really the exercise that Justice Alito is going through here, at least in the draft opinion. Caveat understood here that none of us has gotten to read the final opinion, and we're going to rely on constitutional scholars to, to really walk through the specifics here. But that's, that's not really what he's doing. He is very much relying in the draft opinion on what was the context and understanding at the time of the practice of abortion, a woman's individual rights, her rights separate from the rights understood to adhere to her husband. Remember, women couldn't vote. Black people under the constitution were considered three-fifths of a person. Now there's a whole context for that compromise. Was the constitution saying that a black person, an enslaved person was only three-fifths of a person? Well, that was more of a, that was more of a political counting maneuver than an, than an appraisal of human worth. But the appraisal of human worth in the constitution is that slaves had no rights. So we cannot, we cannot, by definition, apply the understanding and context of the time to today because the society of 250 years ago really bears very little resemblance to the society of today. Questions of viability, which the Supreme Court has said states may now regulate, were not relevant then because there was no such thing as viability. Viability was you've either delivered a, a, a baby or you still have a fetus. Now there's a whole different technological understanding of what we can achieve. And we've talked about that on this show as well. So it, the entire enterprise, I guess my point is that strict originalists, you, what you're saying, Alicia, is logical. And I know that, and, and if, if everyone agreed with your approach to this, we'd be copacetic here. It would be just fine, right? Like Alicia Preston for Supreme Court. Yeah. But but what we've gotten, at least five strict originalists, strict constructionists, and th well, that's what I meant by a very particular judicial philosophy that truly does say we can only do today what people in the 18th century would have understood at the time. And that that is a set of shackles that we must escape from as a society. Paul? So I'm looking at, as we're speaking, I'm looking at the syllabus, which the court has issued. And the syllabus is not necessarily the exact opinion, but it's pretty close for public. And the court says, quote, the constitution makes no express reference, preference. No, sorry. The constitution makes no express reference to a right to obtain an abortion and then goes on to examine the provisions that were used by the Roe and the Casey courts. It says that Roe was totally wrong. It says that no heightened scrutiny, a higher standard should apply to abortion, but that the regulations and prohib 
Prohibitions of abortion are governed by the same standard of review as other health and safety measures. In other words, no no heightened standard under the 14th Amendment or under of equal protection or other constitution constitutional provisions. It is a strict originalist interpretation. It then looks to see whether there's support for abortion in other precedents in the history. It it goes on to to denigrate the, the Roe and the Casey courts for their bad reasoning. The opinion brushes over stare decisis, saying it is not an inexorable command. And it basically it basically says, like the infamous decision in Plessy v. Ferguson, Roe was also egregiously wrong and on a collision course with the Constitution from the day it was decided. It goes on to, 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 un, to try to take on the bad reasoning of the Roe court. It, it's, it, it's, a, it's a stunning opinion from a legal standpoint and a constitutional standpoint in its breadth and in its potential impact on other rights and liberties which citizens in this country have come to accept as 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 part of the fabric of our society they could they the this supreme court could take away the right of people to love each other and be married if they're of the same sex this court based on these decisions could take away all kinds of rights and liberties of people whose sexual orientation doesn't fit to their their narrow definition of what is or is not in the constitution the i mean it is it is stunning it basically begins to unwind federalism it it, it so sorry i was trying to i was i was trying to cut in on you there on mute but just just <laughs> to add to, to, to what you're saying here, because as you as I was speaking, you were doing some textual analysis. And then as you were speaking, I had the opportunity to do some textual analysis. And I just want to I just want to build again on the point here of what exercise are we doing? What Alicia was suggesting is an eminently reasonable approach, which is you have to understand the Constitution at the time, and then you have to adapt it so that it covers things like cell phones. The Constitution says the police can't just grab you and search you. They have to, there's a protection against unreasonable search and seizure. And the Supreme Court has held, yeah, that applies to your iPhone. Why? Because that's a reasonable extension of the understanding at the time. Because the, the, the Constitution could not possibly have anticipated the existence of cell phones, we have to engage in an exercise of well, okay, what would make sense today? Look at what the Dobbs decision is doing. I was referring to Matthew Hale, the 16th century English jurist. Well, Alito goes back a little bit further than that. In order to establish that there was a common law understanding of a crime with abortion, he goes back to Henry de Bracton's 13th century treatise explaining that if a person has struck a pregnant woman or has given her poison, whereby he has caused abortion, if the fetus, spelled F-O-E-T-U-S, which, by the way, is relevant here, be already formed and animated, and particularly if it be animated, he commits homicide. You can just hear in the language there what a rudimentary understanding 
we had in the 13th century, we still thought that you could cure people of various ailments by bleeding them or searching for the small toad that had taken root in leeches, baby. Leeches, leeches, leeches actually were. That's actually a thing. Well, actually, leeches are a thing. That, <laughs> we've, we've, we've done a full 360 on that. But I mean, and again, another reference here to the great common law authorities, Bracton, Coke, Hale, and Blackstone. We're talking between the 13th and 16th century. And it's all in service of saying we have to apply the understanding at the time based on hundreds of years earlier, literally a medieval understanding of the law and science. Why didn't he go back to the code of Hammurabi for goodness sakes? We, we need to apply that understanding to control our laws today. Can we just pause and, and, and recognize what an extreme judicial philosophy that is and how it's taken root at the core of our highest court in the land. It's it's kind of insane and tragic. First of all, I do not have the ability to now look and see if a liberal justice has ever gone back 400 years, but I'm willing to bet someone has. So I think- that, Well, they haven't have because they're not strict originalists. I, I'm gonna look for next week and see if a justice has, a liberal justice has ever gone back 400 years. But here's an important thing to differentiate- I'll try 900, but okay. I'll try nine. To differentiate all these topics, whether it's search and seizures with modern technology or guns, but with abortion, here's the big difference. It could be imagined back then. Abortion has been around since 1500 BC. They did know it existed and yet chose not to put in a specific protection like they did for search and seizures and guns and testifying against yourself, incriminating yourself and all the things in the Constitution, which rightfully has changed with constitutional amendments over the years to protect minorities voting and women and all that thing. That's why we have a process to change it. But they didn't put in a specific protection for something that existed. So look, I'm not a constitutional scholar and I'm certainly not a Supreme Court justice. I just think it's worth noting the difference in these topics is a cell phone didn't exist, an AR-15 didn't exist, but abortion did. And that's yes. why they're very different discussions. But women So there's existed. no constitutional right for a woman to vote. So let's take it away. I mean, after there all- There is. It's an amendment it, to the Constitution. There actually is a yeah, right that, in the Constitution but, but, for me to vote. But, that, but that's so later. That doesn't work. But that's late, there is. later. And we've decided- But it's there. That, that's late, and we've decided that that should be ignored because in the original Constitution, there was nothing that protected- That's the a, silliest a, protected, argument in the world. Protected a, a, woman, reason, a, a woman's right to vote. There I mean, is a reason they allow to amend the Constitution. The forefathers so had that foresight. We're not so that's talk, silly. It is in the Constitution. But hold on, hold on. We're, we're, we're missing the point when it comes to women. The word the, the woman doesn't appear in the Constitution because at the time, the understanding- of a woman was that she was a subset. She was essentially chattel. She was owned once she, she had property. This is literally what Matthew Hale says in this cited set of decisions. She is literally a subset. Sorry, Alicia, under this judicial philosophy, your husband, who's an awesome dude, but he is not your owner. You have not given up your rights by, he, by marrying He disagrees him. at dinner time, but other than that, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I, I suspect that if, if anything, the, the property rights go the other way. But, <laughs> but that, I mean, that's the thing is that the entire enterprise of saying we have to apply the understanding of people's roles and of medical science as existed in the time. So going back to Paul's point for a second, right? You, and Alicia, you were saying, well, we understood that abortion was a thing and we can apply it as a crime. But what we did not understand at the time was that you could deliver 
a woman earlier than she came to term, that you could have other medical interventions because they didn't exist. The idea of viability outside the womb did not exist. The, the understanding of what a fetus was, at the time, the medieval understanding of a fetus is that the homunculus, the, the, the little embryo of the child was inside the sperm. There are pictures of this. It was inside the sperm and it got delivered. And the woman, I, I don't know, like she was sort of like, what was her, there was no understanding of genetics, of ova. I mean, the entire process it, to ground our laws in a medieval understanding of societal roles and technology to me is insane. Wait a second. Hold on, Matt. Look, courts often look to the common law to, to see what the common law precedents were because our law extended from common law. So, so as a practice, the idea of looking backwards to see what the law at the time was is not necessarily in every instance wrong. However, what the court has is a predetermined ideology that abortion should be criminal. And what this decision does is it looks for all the ways in which abortion was held to be criminal in all phases of the common law from the 14th century to parts of, to the 20th century and says, we want to go back there. And, and here's the precedent. We're going back. We want abortion to be criminal. That's, that was their that was their philosophy going into this. That was their philosophy when they were put on the court. That's why they were chosen to go on the court. This is political. It is about a religious and political ideology that has now come to trump reason and, and progress. And that's what's really going on with this court. That is what's going on in this country. And, and it's, it's sad, but true. We ha elections have consequences. And now the only way to save this scheme is going to be if, and we, we don't see any path for the Congress and president to chain, to, to over, override this decision. What, what, in addition to what this decision says about abortion and women's rights, it is devastating to the future of a country which is already divided and needs to figure out what 21st century federalism means because we are seeing this inconsistent activist court on the one hand intruding in states' rights in the gun decision. On the other hand, in this decision, we see an activist court saying, we're going to return it to the people. And that's because of a political and religious ideology at work. They ought to be separated and there should be respect for the decision, the previous decisions of the Supreme Court, which this arrogant group of conservative radical justices have now set on its ear. It is, it's a devastating opinion and attacks the found, the very, I think I see it as an attack on the very foundation of, of our, of our Republic. Well, that's, that's also what I was saying in terms of a tragedy of our system, because there was decent reporting in the last week that Chief Justice Roberts was still trying to find 
a narrow decision. Alicia, you referred earlier to the gun decision as a relatively narrow decision. That's the hallmark of the Roberts court is trying to avoid these kinds of sweeping society shaking rulings that also undercut the credibility of the Supreme Court. I have a prediction here, which is that the Supreme Court's legitimacy, credibility, and standing with the public, which has been cratering in recent years, is going to go down much, much further. And I'm wondering if it will ever recover. Well, I think if people keep claiming the complete untruth that the Supreme Court just outlawed abortion, which is simply and factually not true, that that may be the case. But I, I think the American people are smarter than that. And, and when the hysteria is over, I from the media and people talking about this, I hope they realize all the Supreme Court did was very simply say abortion is not protected exclusively under the, under the Constitution of the United States. And therefore, the states get to decide and regulate it now. But I want to go back to something, and I'm not sure what you were reading from Matt, but it piqued my interest a little bit. I think you were referencing the 16th century jurist, and you noted a, a law back then that if a man is violent against a woman and the, in the fetus or whatever is at such a le level that it has... Uh, yes, this is Henry de Bracton's 13th century treatise. What was this again? Because I'll tell you what intrigued me about it. Henry de Bracton's 13th century treatise if a person has struck a pregnant woman or given her poison, whereby he has caused abortion, if the fetus be already formed and animated, which is an interesting clause in there, and particularly if it be animated, he commits homicide. Why that intrigued me so much is what I've been talking about on this show for these months since we've been discussing it. They may not have known what a fetus versus animated or what that level is or how it worked back in the 13th century, but that's a discussion I've been saying we need to have. And now we know, right? Now we know what these levels of fetus or embryo or baby or all the different terms are inside a woman's womb. That's a discussion I've been saying this country needs to have because I think it, I've said before, the discussion that needs to be had is when is that baby have the rights? When does a mother's rights cede to a baby? Now, some people will tell you that's at the point of conception. I, I'm not in that camp, but I'm not sure where I am. 82% of the country totally agrees that third trimester abortion should not be allowed. But then there's that hole in the middle. And what's fascinating is you said that to me, said to me in the 13th century, they recognized that as well, that that's right. a discussion to be had. What's interesting about that is in rereading that, and I'm glad you brought us back there, that middle clause is very important where it says, if the fetus be already formed and animated, because they're recognizing in the 1200s that there is a distinction to be had between a fetus that is, when they say animated, able to move on its own and fully formed. What's interesting about that is that that conception kind of lines up with about that 16 week line that we're seeing in the underlying Missouri case. What Justice Roberts was apparently searching for was, could we reach a decision here that would preserve a recognition of a fundamental right in the first trimester and just move the line back in accordance with some of these bands that fall at around 15 weeks, 16 weeks? That would have been even more in the direction that you're suggesting, Alicia, which is we're not outlawing abortion, we're, we're maintaining the finding of a fundamental right. And what, again, brings me back to the concern about the credibility, legitimacy, and ability of the Supreme Court to, to be kind of the last word, as you were saying earlier, Alicia, is, is the tortured judicial logic here. It's the 
it's going to be so obvious that this was a result that they wanted to reach, that they've been seeking for decades, and they're going to let nothing stand in their way, even the determined efforts of the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court to find a middle ground that the public, that seems to reflect where the public is, and, and also would not overturn decades of precedent. Look, we've got to wrap up here. We're coming to the end of the show. I, I want to thank all our listeners for sticking with us as we kind of did this live in real time. We'll have much more on this on Beyond Politics. For Paul and Alicia, thanks so much. <laughs>